us is Reverend Bryant McGee. Uh, Bryant is a friend of mine from many years ago. I think I've mentioned before that he was part of the crowd that laid hands on me uh, when I was ordained. Uh, we worked together at Covenant Church. He has served the church for a number of years. Uh, after he left Covenant Church in St. Louis, he went to McKinney, Texas, uh, where he took a sort of struggling church plant and uh, pastored that for 17 years um, in uh, very significant ways, uh, left a healthy church. Uh, the last year and a half, he and his wife Jen have been uh, helping out her mom with a business uh, away from uh, where they were living in Dallas. Um, but you'll hear all of that story. You have a chance to meet them a little bit more this evening. I'll tell you about that again. Uh, for now, he's going to open God's Word to us. He's sticking in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, or 2 Corinthians chapter 12, but uh, it's not uh, tying in very well with, with our series, but this happens to be Bryant's life passage. Uh, so let's uh, read it together. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in body or out of body, I do not know, God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weakness. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool. For I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will, boast, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, as we open this word, we pray that you would open our eyes, you would open our hearts, you would open our hands, you would equip our feet. Father, we need a word from you this morning. We pray for the one who is called to give it to us, so that you would be with Bryant, you would strengthen his, uh, his heart, his tongue, uh, but most of all, may he find his rest in you, even as he is preaching to us. We pray this all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Preach the word, brother. Thanks, brother. Thank you, thank you. Good morning, loved ones. It is a, a joy, a pleasure to be with you this morning. It really is. We've enjoyed a great weekend, Jennifer and I have. We've had a lot of firsts this past weekend since Thursday. It is the first time for us to be in Michigan, first time for us to be in Grand Rapids, the first time for us to meet all y'all, as we would say in Texas, uh, any of you except for Lisa and Andrew. 
It's the first time really for us to see these yellow and uh, orange things falling off of these brown sticks that stick up in the air. And it certainly is the first time for us to see in a long time this white stuff that's falling from the sky. We don't see much of that down in South Padre Island. But it has been a great delight for us uh, to be here this past week. We've enjoyed our time immensely. Everything is big in Texas. Now that is not our state motto, but it ought to be because we are all, uh, as Texans, we live by that. It's not on our license plate, but it should be because we all use this phrase over and over again that everything is big in Texas. Let me give you a case in point. There are two sacred times in Texas, and that is Sunday morning and Friday night. Sunday morning for our Baptist friends to go to church and uh, Friday night for high school football, not professional football, not college football, but high school football. Jennifer and I came from McKinney, Texas, which is about 30 miles north of Dallas, and the city right next to us was the city of Allen. And back in 2012, Allen Independent School District announced that it would be building a $60 million high school football stadium to house 18,000 people for Allen High School. And as the bond began to be cast before the people and everyone began to talk, oh, how the citizens of Allen, Texas began to brag and to boast. Oh, I'm so delighted that my child goes to the best school district in the state of Texas. And the kids would say, oh, I'm so delighted to be part of a school district that would build the biggest stadium that cost the most money in the state of Texas. They went on boasting and bragging all they could, all the way down from the city politicians and the school board and the parents and the children. Everybody began to boast until... They were about ready, started a new football season, started a new school year. They're to move into their new facility, and an engineer had to be called in. There were cracks all in the foundation uh, of the concrete, the support. And for the first season, while they played at a different stadium, this stadium, the one they boasted and bragged about, sat empty for the entire year. In 2016, then, in McKinney, where I was, the school board decided that we were not going to be one-upped. We are going to build a $70 million high school football stadium for our football team, and oh, how the boasting began. Now, between Allen and McKinney, our stadium's going to be bigger than your stadium. Well, you only got the idea from us. Oh, no, we're going to spend $70 million. You only spent $60 million. Ours is greater. Ours is better. All of this stuff and it starts with the politicians and the school board and the parents and also the students until it came time for them to start their new season and an engineer was called in because there were cracks all in the foundation they had added too much water to the concrete and it sat out the entire first season as they watched from a different football stadium this other stadium just stand vacant everything is big in Texas Especially it's pastors. I mean, just look at me. Look at me. I, I, is, am I shrinking or are you guys growing? That's what I want to know. I've never seen so many tall people, but this is Texas right here. Everything is big in Texas, especially her pastors. This uh, weekend and uh, a few others, as the Lord has been gracious in calling us back into ministry as uh, Andrew was just, Pastor Andrew was just... Uh, 
uh, saying, Jennifer and I have been down in South Padre Island where we've been serving a family business for a while. The Lord is now gracious in calling us back into ministry, and it has been the most awkward a thing for the, I, I haven't been in this situation in 23 years where I've been candidating at another church, but I, I've been sitting with individuals and they're saying, well, tell us your story. Tell us all the wonderful things that you've done. Tell us about this and tell us how you did with this church and that church. And this has been my life verse for some time, as Pastor Andrew said in verse 9, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. I wish I could say that's the case all of the time, and I live completely by this verse but I find myself a lot like the school boards boasting in all of the things that I've done, especially as I'm candidating. Well, I, you know, I took a, a, a failing church plant and I built it to 400 plus people and I planted another church out of that plant and oh, my ministries were wonderful and you know, there was a great, uh, great participation from all of the saints and all of this and all of that. I have done the very opposite of my life verse. My, my testimony should be in verse 10 for the search team and the elders and the deacons. Uh, my ministry is defined by weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. Were I to tell you that, that would be true. That would be true. But oh, how we love to boast, don't we? Not only me, but I know you as a fellow lover of the Lord Jesus Christ, we like to boast about the things that we think that we have been able to accomplish by our own strengths. We like to boast about how well we have done things and how much better we're doing than other individuals. And when we're not boasting like that, if, we, if we're unable to boast in how much better we are than others, then we boast in how bad we have it, don't we? Well, I'm suffering so much more than they're suffering. I've, I've got it worse. I've got it so much worse than they do. Their pain is nothing considered to my pain. We are a people filled with pride. Made the top seven, did it not, of the seven deadly sins? Actually made number one. Pride is ugly. Spiritual pride is even uglier. And yet how we are filled with it so often, my friends... You don't need a candidate for the gospel ministry to stand here and tell you how wonderful he is. You're not going to get that in me. Because my, my ministry is defined by weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. But I will rejoice in that because as the promise that is given to us by the Savior here is that the power of Christ, look at the end of verse 9, the power of Christ rests upon us. And so when we rest in the fullness of the gospel of grace, of what Christ is doing to us, what Christ is doing in us, what Christ is doing through us, then and only then will we be able to say, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses because when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's look at this passage in those two ways very briefly. I promise to be brief, and that is how we boast when we think we're better, how we boast when we think we've got it worse than anyone else. Look how Paul begins in verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 1. I must go on boasting because he says that we have to go back. If he must do something, he must continue to do something. That means he's already introduced it to us, and he actually introduced it to us in chapter 10 and chapter 11. It's what some commentators refer to as the severe letter, 
I know you've been listening to that, Pastor Andrew and, and uh, Pastor Addison. I've been listening to their sermons on, I've been evaluating their sermons online uh, as, I've been, as I've been listening to them. Uh, this is a, what commentators say might be the severe letter. We're certainly not true, uh, or we're not sure it, if it is. But back in chapters 10 and 11, Paul basically says this. Let me summarize. He says, when we were with you, we not only shared our doctrines with you, but we shared our very lives. We poured ourselves into you so that we all might experience the comfort that only comes from the comfort that God gives. That's what you've been listening to the last several weeks. And then he says, but when we left you, what we found out was that not long were we gone, but then the super apostles, those individuals that thought highly of themselves, more highly of themselves than they ought, came into your presence and they began to tear us down as they begin to boast about themselves, about how wonderful they have it, how wonderful they are compared to us, and that they, they ought to receive the attention of the Corinthian church instead of Paul and the missionary journey. And so Paul says, listen, I'm going to boast uh, but I, it, go back and read it. That's your homework, chapters 10 and 11. I, I sound like a crazy man, he said, because he was so opposed to this boasting about his own abilities, his own doings, and yet he had to do that. He said, I must go on boasting, and I'm going to boast now about Revelation, revelations, that visions that they had been seeing as we read in verse 1. Let me go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. It's most likely then that these super apostles have been talking about the revelations that they had had. And so Paul is saying, if they're going to boast, let, let me go on boasting and I'll boast about these revelation, revelations as well. I know a man who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven and he saw the paradise. I don't know whether he was in the body or out of the body, but God knows. Two times he says that. I don't know if it was in, an in-the-body experience or an out-of-body experience. I don't know, but God knows. All I know is that this guy saw inexpressible things, things that could not be communicated. I know a man, that man, and I'll boast about that man, but I'm not going to boast about myself. Well, the ironic thing is Paul is the man. Look at verse 7. He says, so to keep me from, so to keep me, to keep me, the emphatic pronoun, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these revelations, I was given a thorn in the flesh. He is the man. He is the man of the revelation. But that's the very point that Paul wants to make. Fourteen years, fourteen years he had kept the secret. He had not boasted boasted at all about what it is that he had seen or experienced in the third heaven. Now, friends, a lot of ink has been spilt over this. Let me simply say this. This is the only passage in Scripture where we read about the third heaven. So we don't know anything about it, just like we don't know that much about the severe letter or anything else. For all of those who say, oh, I know about the third heaven. I know what Paul experienced. I know what Paul saw. no. We do not know. This is the only place, but that's the very point Paul is making. I'll boast in that man, the man who has kept it silent for 14 years and not boasted and bragged about it because they were things that were not to be communicated. Now, the apostle John had a revelation, did he not? And, and God said, write this down because this is for the church. We know that is the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. But here, Paul was told, don't say a word. And for 14 years, he had not boasted about this revelation 
Look how he responded. About those revelations, then he says in the middle of verse 6, I am going to refrain. I'm not going to talk about those things. Although, he says, I could. Because if I, if I boasted about those revelations, those would be true. I actually saw those things where the super apostles didn't. I actually did see the things in paradise. But I am going to refrain so that no one will think more highly of me than they ought. Here's what Paul knew, friends. Paul knew to elevate himself was to actually eliminate Christ. To focus on himself was to eliminate the very work of the Lord Jesus Christ in his life. He goes on in the, at the end of chapter 12. He, we quoted that for our call to confession today. If I'm going to boast, I'm only going to boast in the Lord. That is actually a quote right from the book of Revel, or, or Jeremiah. Let me read it to you. It's from Jeremiah chapter 9, and it says, This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts Boast in the Lord that he understands and he knows me, that I am the one who practices steadfast love, justice, righteousness here on earth. This are, these are the things that I delight in, declares the Lord. What does the Apostle Paul know? He knows that his boasting is only the result that he knows and understands the Savior, the work of the Savior in him, the work of the gospel in him. Friends, I'm here candidating this weekend. You don't want me, nor do you need me, to stand and tell you how wonderful I am. My head is big enough already not to fit through the back doors. What you need from me is to say, this is my life verse, and I break it moment by moment and day by day, that the Savior says to me, verse 9, my grace, Bryant, is sufficient for you, and my power, the power that you know me, and understand me because I have revealed myself to you through my holy, infallible, and inerrant word by the power and work of the Spirit that boils up within you like streams of living water, as Jesus told the woman at the well. Then I will understand that my weakness is a strength, and the strength is the work of the Spirit within me. That's what I need as an individual that's what you need as the church, as Pastor Andrew just said, all of us living these nasty lives together. I don't know the history of this church in its extent, but I know some of it. I know you've experienced a lot of wonderful growth lately. Wouldn't it be easy to say, oh, look how great we are. By the power of our own strength, look at the wonderful things that we have accomplished together. No. Look at the power of the work of the gospel in our hearts whereby we know him and we understand him because he reveals himself to us and drives us to the place where we have ears to hear him say, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul, look at now verse 7, seems to move in this direction. When we boast about our own strengths, if that doesn't work for us, many times we boast in our weaknesses. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of these revelations, a thorn was given to me in my flesh. He moves to these difficulties, these pains that he has in his life. A thorn was given to me in, in the flesh. But he goes on to say then that this thorn was used by a messenger of Satan to 
harass him. Now, friends, I want you to look at a couple of words here. In, in verse 7, the Apostle Paul writes, A thorn was given me. It is the Greek word that is used throughout the extent of the New Testament, whereby we understand something that we receive as a gift from our Savior. So the Apostle Paul sees this thorn as a gift from his Savior. But the thorn that was given to him is now used by a messenger of Satan to harass him, to torment him, as the NIV says. So, so often, you see, friends, when we're suffering, and I'm not discounting your pain. I'm not discounting your suffering. I know it's real. Mine is real. But many times, we so focus on the pain and the problem, we beat ourselves down or we get beaten down instead of seeing that God is sovereign over all things. And even this particular experience that I'm experiencing is the very gift from God. It's called sovereignty and suffering, and the two going together side by side. The greatest picture of God's sovereignty and suffer, man's suffering is right there on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. That it was the Father's will that he would turn his face away from his son who hung there and bore our sins in his body on the tree. Sovereignty and suffering going together. There is no other place in Scripture where the Apostle Paul talks about this thorn in the flesh. And yet, that's the very point, is it not? How, how much ink has been spilt over this? Oh, look at what large letters I write. Paul must have had terrible eyesight. He had to use big letters. Or look what large letters I write with my own hand. Oh, he must have had arthritis so badly that he couldn't even hold the instrument with which to write. We don't know. We don't know what the thorn in his side is, but friends, that is the very point. Because the Apostle Paul is saying, I'm not going to boast in that. I'm not going to boast in how bad I have it, how weak I have it. I will only boast in the fact that this is a gift from God. And three times I asked him to take it away, and he didn't take it away. His grace is sufficient for me. So look how he responds. Look how he responds to this thorn that's in his flesh. Verse 10, for the sake of Christ then, I'll be content in that. I'll rest in the fullness of knowing that even this suffering, this thorn is not outside of the knowledge of my heavenly father who delights in doing good to me. God is not up in heaven, friends, saying, whoops, how did he get this thorn? How are we going get, to get it away? He says, I will be content in this thing that is causing my weakness and my insult, my hardship, my persecution, and my calamities. Here's my point, friend, I want to make. Have you ever thought that your limitations might be the very thing that the Savior would use to build his kingdom here on earth? Have I ever thought that my lack of my ability to preach and teach the word would be the very thing that the Lord would use to draw others savingly into the kingdom? Have we as the church ever thought that our own limitations might be the very thing that God would use to bring individuals, perhaps even kicking and screaming, into the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ that will never, never end? Can we be content in that? Can we rest in the fullness of knowing that that is true? 
that this is the bride of Christ and Christ will take care of his bride as he makes his revelation known, his being known as we understand him and know him and experience this grace that is sufficient for us. Friends, that's our response because please, if you tune me out now, come back for just a second and listen very carefully. I am not saying to you, do not hear me say to you, now go out those back walls, friends, and just get out there and be like Paul. We don't need any more moralistic preaching in our country today, do we? Just go out there and be like, or as Brian Chappell said, sola bootstrapsa, just pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and get out there and try harder and do better and stop doing this and start doing that. That's not what the Apostle Paul did. The Apostle Paul, quoting Jeremiah, has now experienced the fullness of the revelation of his Savior. He has known him. He understands him. And knowing and understanding the work of grace in his life and in his heart from that road to Damascus journey, now he can say, I am weak. But he is strong. The power that is within me is the power of Christ. Verse 9, that is resting upon me. The power of Christ that is boiling up from within me. And that's what I'm saying to you. Can you rest in the certainty and the fullness, the assurance of that, the sufficiency of the work of grace? See, friends, here it is. It's not just doctrines that we know in our minds, but it's a gospel that has pierced our heart. And from the inside out, streams of water boiling up within us, we're now able to say that Christ is sufficient for me. Does that define you? I pray that it defines me. I confess that it doesn't every single day. Grace upon grace, a beautiful gospel. A mom was standing at her kitchen stove making some pancakes for her two sons who were seated at the table behind her, Kevin, age five, and Ryan, age three. And she began to listen to the dialogue of Kevin and Ryan because Kevin, the older brother, was saying, hey, Ryan, when the first pancake comes out, I'm going to get it. I'm bigger than you. If mom puts it on your plate, I'm going to steal it off of your plate because I'm bigger than you, and you can't do anything about that. Ryan, age three, oh, no, Kevin, don't do that. Please don't. I'm so hungry. I need this. Don't do that. Don't do it. Mom was listening to this conversation, saw a teaching moment, turned around and said, boys, if Jesus were seated at the table with, with you, he would say, I'm going to let my brother have the first pancake. She turned around, score, made that application. She goes back to cooking, and then she hears Kevin say to Ryan, Hey, Ryan, you be Jesus. <laughs> Loved ones of Christ Church, you are Kevin, and so am I. We love to be first. We love to be strong. We love to boast even in our strength and in our weakness. But here is the promise of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The power of Christ rests upon us. The power of Christ boils up within us such that we can say, we can say, I will rest in my weaknesses His grace is sufficient, 
even in this situation, in every situation, the power of the work of the gospel alive and well within us, I can do all things then through Christ who strengthens me. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, what a joy it is to hear your gospel of grace. What a sweet gospel reminding us that you have done a work for us that we cannot do for ourselves. And that work is the work of the gospel that Christ came and bore our sins in his body. He died for that sin that we might know you, that we might understand this work of the gospel and that you might continue to apply that gospel through your word and your spirit as we live this life until that day when Christ comes again. And so we would say, even so, come, Lord Jesus, quickly come. Seal this gospel to these, my dear friends, that the work of grace might triumphant, uh, might be triumphant and march forward into this community of Grand Rapids and even around the world, we pray, for the praise of your glorious grace. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen and amen. Friend